Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black men. Norlander is here with me, and it was a, a busy Tuesday night of basketball. Seton Hall won at Michigan. Houston pounded Virginia. BYU won at Oregon. We're going to get to actual basketball stuff, games eventually, I promise. But we're going to start on the big news of the day, that Dukes, Paulo Bancaro, and Michael Savarino were both hit over the weekend with drinking and driving-related charges. Uh, Michael, by the way, is Mike Krzyzewski's grandson. Paulo is the possible number one pick of the 2022 NBA draft. Um, the story seems to be this. They were out late on a Saturday night, got pulled over for a stop sign violation. Michael was driving Paulo was a passenger, even though it was Paulo's car. Michael blew a 0.08. He was charged with DWI, driving after consuming alcohol under the age of 21 because he's under 21, and Paulo obviously is as well, and he got that stop sign violation too. His driver's license uh, has been suspended for 30 days. Uh, ben Carroll was charged with aiding and abetting DWI, and released at the site of the traffic stop. And according to the citation, he was a passenger in the back seat. So he was stretching out for whatever reason. Let's start here, Deadleg. Um, are you surprised that Paulo started and played for Duke on Tuesday night? Because I think I was. I had been on radio stations uh, and CBS Sports HQ throughout the day. And I was generally saying things like, we'll wait to see what the punishment is, but I'll be surprised if he plays on Tuesday night. And then, of course, he was in the starting lineup and played on Tuesday night. Were you surprised by that? I was surprised by that. I expected Ben Caro to be suspended for one game. He wasn't behind the wheel, but wound up putting himself in a dangerous situation. This is now the third drinking and driving incident tied to men's college basketball in the past two and a half months. We had Mark few situation over Labor Day and his suspension obviously ended with the uh, game over the weekend. Uh, you have Jalen Wilson still serving a three game suspension for Kansas. And now Severino will be suspended for an indefinite amount of time earlier on Tuesday night. You had Lafonso Ellis and Seth Greenberg on ESPN. Uh, it was during halftime of the Virginia Houston game. They both, admitted that they expected Bancaro to be suspended for at least a game and that he should have been suspended. We're left to speculate somewhat here. I mean, there's been some good reporting locally, which, uh, which has certainly been a help, but Mike Krzyzewski was not much of a help in the post game. Uh, here's what he said afterward to the press when asked about it. He said, quote, we had a violation of our standards and we'll handle that internally. We've already handled it. He later went on to say violations of our standards and that's it. Two entirely different situations. Headlines might make it look like it's the same. It's not. The decisions we made are in conjunction with our authorities, my superiors. We're taking action and we'll continue to take action. That's 
all fine and good, but this is one of those situations where, yeah, you can handle it internally and that's fine and go ahead and do that. But you are, you are the Duke blue devils. And so you can't begrudge the media when it wants to have a little more transparency and potentially accountability for whatever bank role in this. As for the citation for aiding and abetting a DWI, I had never heard that before. Me neither. Had you, I, I'd never heard of this before today. I, I, I was surprised to see that charge. I didn't know what Paulo did is technically against the law in North Carolina. Um, For people who maybe are unfamiliar, uh, in the state of North Carolina, aiding and abetting a DWI can be charged when a person knowingly turns over their own vehicle to someone who is impaired or fails to prevent an impaired person from getting behind the wheel. So think of it like this. If I were in the state of North Carolina and I was at the dinner with my wife and we both had a couple of drinks and we think we're fine, but, you know, we both had had a couple of drinks. Let me be clear. We wouldn't do this. Like on Sunday night, we went out. We scheduled an Uber to pick us up. We got an Uber to take us back home. But, we wouldn't do- but it was really late. Let's remind everyone of this. The Uber was way too late. But, yes, continue. Like 25 minutes late. I scheduled it five hours in advance. I think that is unacceptable. But we still did it. We, you know, we... I have reached the point in my life where I sort of factor in Ubers as the cost of doing business when we go out. Like if my wife says to me, I'm not going to drink tonight. I say, okay, well, then you can drive. But if she says, I might have a glass of wine. I say, okay, well, then we're going to Uber there and we're going to Uber home. But let's say for the sake of a conversation, totally hypothetical, um, we're at dinner in North Carolina. We both have a couple of drinks and we're, we think we're fine and we're probably fine. Um, but, you know, if we got pulled over, it might be a problem. If I said, hey, listen, I want you to drive because if you get pulled over, you're a business owner. You own your own business. You're not going to get pulled over, get a DWI and fire yourself. You're the owner. But like if I got pulled over, I might find myself in a difficult situation with my employers. So you need to drive. If we then got pulled over and she blew above the legal limit and she was charged with DWI, technically, I am also going to get charged with a crime because I was involved. I allowed her to do that, if not encouraged her to do that. I didn't know that that was a crime, and I bet you uh, before Saturday night, Paulo Bencaro didn't either. Yeah, and I'd love a little more about what actually happened here because <laughs> you're going to have people wanting uh, more se- severe punishment for Bancaro. It's it's satisfied Shashevsky and his bosses. Whatever happened there, it certainly satisfied him. And I mean, this has been, and we'll get to all this on the podcast. It's been a <laughs> it's been a randomly very long day uh, across college basketball with a bunch of different news items. But this was one of those deals when the news broke. I want to say in the nine a.m. Eastern hour, and for a good like four or five hours, you're wondering if there will be any news that either leaks, which I didn't anticipate it would or just announced by Duke about, you know, for the game against Gardner-Webb Tuesday night, you know, Paolo Bancaro has either been suspended or indefinitely suspended or all that kind of stuff, but that wasn't, it was just nothing. It was nothing until Duke's social media accounts tweeted out, posted photos about shoot-arounds, our own Kyle Boone, uh, did some investigative work. On Twitter, Duke did not include the picture of Bancaro at shoot-around, but on, I guess, the Duke official Insta story, which you can't reply to or whatever publicly. Vancaro was there, so there was an indication he'd be playing. He certainly did wind up doing that. He started, he had 10 and 8 in the 95-52 win over Gardner Webb. 
I'd like to hear more from Krzyzewski about this. We haven't gotten it. I don't know if we will get more eventually, uh, but goes without saying, we're going to say it again. You can't be putting yourself in this kind of situation. What are we doing? Your Mike Krzyzewski, I heard from a, a, a few different people around college basketball on Tuesday. It's like, it, it, you know, you're Mike Krzyzewski's grandson, first of all. Your, uh, your mother, your aunt works uh, in the athletic department, is senior administration. It's his final season. You're putting yourself in this sort of situation. There was reporting locally that, that apparently Saverino had uh, admitted to taking some shots. He had some, uh, some bloodshot eyes. And you've, apparently he was driving Bancaro's car. That's another element. Bancaro in the back seat. I want to give credit to Sarah Kruger, who did some, uh, some gumshoe reporting here. And she said the documents state the car was Bancaro's and that Bancaro was sitting in the back seat. Highway Patrol tells me they were the only two in the vehicle. Uh, she goes on to say uh, court docs list Bancaro's address as a Leesburg Road address in Roxborough, which I found is a business. DreamWorks Motorsports. I called and spoke with the owner who told me she knows, quote, quite a few, and quote, Duke basketball players, and she, quote, doesn't have any comment, end quote. Uh, DreamWorks Motorsports. Don't know why that's the official address tied to Paolo Bancaro. Uh, the Duke conspiracy theorists are going to go absolutely wild with this, of course, but it certainly is unusual. That's, that's the official address tied to Paolo Bancaro. So we have some threads that still need to be tied here. Uh, but I think plenty of people were surprised that he did not wind up getting suspended for at least a game. Just putting yourself in that situation and being involved in this, I think, would have warranted it. Um, but he didn't. He played. And from what we can tell, there's going to be no punishment coming for the potential number one pick in 2022. First, I missed the Duke Instagram stories. I only pay attention to the Kanye West Instagram stories. Okay. You see the Kanye West Instagram stories? It's not, on it's not a chance. Not a chance. Yay and Drake are best buddies again. I didn't know they were never best buddies. So. What? You don't know about the Kanye West Drake beef? Um, I'm out to lunch on all that stuff. You, I don't know that. I don't know the, the, the big bank challenge. I don't know any of this stuff. I, I, at least once a day when I see a new big bank challenge, <laughs> I, I, I think about sending it to you. And then I wonder if it'll be weird if I'm sending it to you. But, <laughs> I, but I can't stop thinking about sending it to you. And that's a little weird in and of itself. But you can go ahead and send it to me. I my my I saw one today, little girl. She had it. She had a small waist and a pretty face. Bank, you know, it's a nice bank, but I I knew what the comments would be, so I jumped right in the comments. The first thing I saw, the first comment I saw was, "Bank closed. <laughs> Your bank's closed." Love the big bank child. I can't get enough of it. Still, so um, yeah. Kanye West and Drake are best buddies again. I'll catch you up on that off uh off the podcast. Um. What is Paulo sitting in the back seat for? Like he's in an Uber. <laughs> I, that's the other. I, listen, a lot of stuff to break down with this. But here, like he's just stretching out. Like I, if you got in the car with me, more likely I would get in the car with you. I wouldn't get yeah. in the back seat if I were the only other person in the vehicle. That seems that seems like an Uber. Yes, exactly. It, if you know, okay, if you know the person and you're not getting picked up in a situation where you're – Dead tired, like red eye flight. Let me just pass out back here, or intoxicated. There you go. That to me, like I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but right. that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yo, Those I got two things. I got to lay out back here. If it's just if it's just you two and your friends and you know each other, those are the two reasons you get in the back seat, and that's about. Or, and this could be related to number two, or you're just so violently ill that you don't even want a chance being in the uh sitting shotgun so you're like let me just be i feel awful let me sit in the back seat in case i got to roll down this window those are the only three 
reasons that are ever acceptable to hop in the backseat of your own car with someone that you know. Treating Coach K's grandson like a Lyft driver. <laughs> it's outrageous. I was, yeah, this, yeah. I mean, I was, it, I was hoping we were going to find out that it was Savarino driving Paulo in the backseat with, with a contestant in the Big Bang Challenge. Okay. That, that, that would have been the story I wanted to read. The podcast cycle there. I, like, I, so, so, so uh, by the way, uh, so like we can sort of connect some dots here. Severino's clearly been drinking. He admits to it. He blew yeah. a 0.08. There's no way you turn your keys over to that guy unless you can't drive. So at the very least, I think you can reasonably assume Paulo Bencaro was out after 1, 1 a.m. during the opening weekend of the season underage drinking. I mean, listen, I love Paulo. That's got to be a suspension. Yeah, I don't quite understand how it's not. And, I, you know, Krzyzewski leaves us here to our own presumptions and devices because he didn't reveal any more. It's internal. Okay, if, if that's going to happen, then you're going to be subject to, you know, assumptions and criticisms over it. If he's willing to play him because he doesn't believe Bancaro violated whatever standards he set within his program, then do a better job at explaining it. That's all. I don't think we're asking too much from that. And by deflecting, you only create more of an issue there. And by the way, we don't know the terms of Savarino, who was a walk-on and I guess earned a scholarship, if you want to call it that, uh, for the upcoming season. That still hasn't been revealed either. Perhaps there will be more coming from Duke. We're recording late, you know, late Tuesday night into Wednesday morning here. And maybe Wednesday or Thursday will bring more, but there's no... There's no promise of that. Duke is also ripe for any kind of gossip chatter, criticism, ribbing with all this, given the the history of some of uh, the suspensions or lack thereof at the program. So when you have situations like this, we're a week into the season, by the way. It was a week ago tonight we were talking after Champions Classic and how good Van Carroll looked, and it's just this will probably be a distant memory within a month's time. I get all that, but like this is how we're starting off Coach K's farewell tour, if you want to call it that, with this kind of it's not it's. It's not good news at all, and uh, get the house in order here because you know, there's no guarantee, as we'll talk about with some teams here. There's no guarantee that Duke's not righted this, you know, granted this right of being a number one, two, three, four seed this season just because it might have the number one pick in the draft. Like, things can get in the way here, and these still are college kids, so button up down there in Durham. And the other thing I noticed just from, like, reading the postgame comments is Mike set up a little bit of a, a straw man argument. He's like, you know, it, it's not the same thing. It, it's essentially saying what Michael did is not the same thing as what Paulo did. And oh, like, okay, nobody, like nobody said it was the same thing. I, yeah. Well, I think what he's getting to with that is the fact that you had some outlets, not us list Bancaro's name first in the headline. He wasn't driving and they kind of, it's a like, they kind of tried to make Bancaro the bigger deal, even though he wasn't the one that decided to get down behind the wheel after he'd been driving. I think that's what Kay was kind of getting at with that. But at the same time, it's, Paulo Bancaro, and he was cited for this. He has to go to court in December when all this happens. Continue. Yeah, and, and the other thing, and listen, I don't think if if we held the NBA draft tonight and I'm in charge of the franchise picking first, I'm still taking Paulo Bencaro. Um, I do think it's uh, disappointing. And, and, and let me stop for a second. I, I'm always conflicted talking about these things because there is nothing Michael Savarino did over this weekend that I hadn't done when I was his age. And there's nothing Paulo Bencaro did this weekend that I didn't do when I was in his, his age. I have, when I was in college, uh, embarrassingly, I got behind the wheel of a car after drinking. And I certainly got in the car with people who had been drinking. 
So in that respect, I'm no different than these young men other than nobody cared about me. Uh, nobody cares. About, my grandfather isn't the winningest coach of all time, and I was never going to be the number one pick in any draft about anything. Um, so I, I, I don't ever want to make it out like I'm I can't believe these young people like who like you never want to make it more than what it is, but you also don't want to talk like it's nothing. You don't want to be dismissive of it. And so it's hard to find that balance sometimes, or at least it's, I struggle trying to find that balance sometimes. Uh, so when I say things like it's disappointing, I don't mean it like shame on you, young man. I just mean it like if you're Paulo Bencaro, you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Probably you really like you really get in the car with a drunk driver. Like that's just, you know, you're, with hun you're potentially worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And just a few weeks ago, we watched a professional football player ruin his life, probably end his career and kill another person based on a bad decision that's not too far different from this decision. And I do think that that's, again, I'll just keep it as simple as I can keep it uh, disappointing, but I'm sure. Paulo recognizes that at this point. We'll see where this story goes from here. I thought he would get at least a game and maybe up to three because you can you got three bye games coming up before you play Gonzaga in, in Las Vegas. I thought that would have been a good way for uh, you know Mike to, to, to set a standard, uh, to show real punishment, and probably not cost him in himself anything from a basketball perspective. But instead, and it's his program, he decided that whatever punishment will be handled internally. So Paulo Bencaro uh, was in the starting lineup Tuesday night and presumably will be every other game uh, the rest of the season, barring injury, of course. Let's move to basketball stuff. So the biggest surprise of Monday night was Illinois losing at Marquette. The biggest surprise of Tuesday night is probably Michigan losing at home to Seton Hall. Uh, we'll get into both of those games next. Uh, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So the biggest surprise on Monday night was Illinois losing at Marquette. That was followed on Tuesday night, Michigan losing at home. To Seton Hall. Uh, Deadleg, I know what happened to Illinois. Um, I was on a plane while it was happening, but I read all about it and even wrote about it as the lead to Tuesday morning's top 25 and one. As you know, 
and I guess I should have pointed this out earlier. It's the reason I'm sitting in a hotel room in Charleston, South Carolina, as opposed to my uh, studio uh, back home. Um, I was in uh, TD Bank Arena tonight for North Carolina at College of Charleston. Still got the CBS jacket on, by the way. Love it. Look at that. Like the Jim Nance of College Basketball Podcast. Love it. I'm often referred to as the Jim Nance of College Basketball Podcast. Okay. People often refer to me that way. Often. Nobody's ever referred to me that way. What's funny about sideline reporting is um, you go to a game and people see you completely differently. To some people I'm there, this isn't true for all sideline reporters, just the Jim Nance of College Basketball Podcast sideline reporters. Um, I'm walking around the building and you know, every once in a while, it's like a GP, where's dead leg? Shouts to Devin Downey. And then to everybody else, I'm just the ugliest sideline reporter that they've ever seen. <laughs> it's a it's a weird dynamic, you know? It's a, it's a blessed gig, though. I'd say about 5% of the people are like, that's GP. GP, can I get a picture? And about 95% of the people are like, why is that ugly guy the sideline reporter? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough deal. Be so hard on yourself. Don't so be I, so hard. That's not the point. The point is this. I didn't see anything really I that guess. happened on Tuesday night other than North Carolina and College of Charleston. We'll get to that in a minute. But obviously the big result was Michigan losing at home to Seton Hall. That's a nightmare for the top 25 and one, by the way. Uh, and you haven't even started that, by the way. It's an absolute nightmare for the top 25 and one. If I can Ooh. be completely transparent as that game was going down the stretch. Our producer, Nada, Kanata Edwards, texted me and was like, man, we got way too low of a podcast for Tuesday night right now, and a Michigan loss would not improve things. And I said, that's right. We would not be opposed to a Michigan win at this stage of the evening, and it did not go that way. So we'll go with that game first. We got the, we got the little Chiron down below, and then I'll get to what happened with Illinois and Marquette on Tuesday night. Uh, my, my CBS Sports app alerted me to the fact that on this little push alert, uh, Seton Hall defeats Michigan, the Pirates' first non-conference road win ever over a top-five team. Great on the hall for that. That's good stuff. We love to see it. And, in fact, it was Seton Hall's – this is just a Tyler Calvaruso. He tweeted, it's Seton Hall's biggest roadkill. I like that. Since it took down fourth-ranked Syracuse. So the highest win over a ranked team, regardless of venue, for the hall since 2000. Credit to Bryce Aiken. He was wonderful. Seton Hall's defense was fantastic. I know Michigan fans watching this and listening to this podcast, you're going to be supremely frustrated with some of the officiating. I don't want to hear it. You're the fourth-ranked team in America. You're at home. You win that game. Didn't get it done. There were some uh, big foul shots made at the end by, by Bryce, which I thought were pretty big overall. And, man, Eli Brooks missed a runner with 16 seconds to go. Dickinson was just out of position for the rebound. Ike Obiagu got the got the board. Aiken went one or two at the line. And then Michigan had a chance to send it to OT. Uh, Jared Roden fouled Terrence Williams on a pump fake from like just inside the three-point line. He missed the first foul shot, banked in the second. That was it. And this is the first, uh, this is the first uh top five team to lose this season. Michigan's the first top 20 team to lose on its home floor to an unranked opponent this season. The Big East is now four and zero in the Gavit games. Four and zero. Real quick recap on what we're looking at here with this: Seton Hall, sixty-seven, sixty-five. 
We'll get to Marquette, Illinois. Providence won against Wisconsin 63-58. And then earlier on Tuesday night, Creighton won 77-69 over Nebraska. Just a quick note on that. Nebraska's not that good. It lost Trey McGowan's its best player to a broken foot. Things get worse for Nebraska. Big East 4-0 in the Gavit games. There are four more to go. Michigan State Butler, St. John's, Indiana, Ohio State Xavier, Rutgers at DePaul. It's not unthinkable that the Big Ten could even this, but no one thought the Big East would be 4-0. In fact, as I look at that, at least three of those Big East teams were dogs in those games. So I know you didn't see any of the game, GP, because you were on duty, which we'll get to uh, with with UNC and Charleston and just a few here. But hell of a win for the Big East. The Big Ten, how about this? Is yet to now we're only eight nights into the season. I get this. Big Ten doesn't have a win yet over a power conference program as a as a league. Yet to win a game over, you know, an NCAA tournament worthy kind of team. Relatively surprising. Michigan loses at home. As you said, it's a it's a disaster. It's a disaster. It's a disaster for the top 25 and one. And listeners and viewers, let me explain to you why. We still have probably at least 25 more minutes to go on this podcast. Paris is going to have to fly home in the morning. Before he does that, he has to file that top 25 and one. So it's fresh for thousands upon thousands of eager eyes. And he's got to figure out where the hell to put Michigan after it loses at home to an unranked Seton Hall team who, by nature of GP's daily rankings, the only reliable ones in the sport, I can promise you Seton Hall will be ranked when you wake up and read those rankings in, on Wednesday morning. So stressed out. I swear to you, I didn't even know that Michigan lost the game until I got back to my hotel and sat down. Because um, like I, I rode back to the hotel with Rich Waltz and uh, and Steve Lapis, and so you know you don't get on your phone then. You're talking and telling stories and telling everybody how much you enjoyed the night. And I got back to my uh, hotel here, and I turned my computer back on, and I was just making some final notes for the podcast, and I saw the score, and I went just like this. I went. <sighs> It's just, the top 25 and one is so much easier when nothing stupid happens, especially so early in the season, because when it happens late in the season, there are other results to offset stuff. But what do you, how do you handle Seton Hall being undefeated with a win at Michigan? How do you handle Seton Hall in the top 25 and one in Michigan, in the top 25 and one, because here's the truth. Michigan's probably the better team and probably will be the better team. But if you rank Michigan ahead of Seton Hall tomorrow, People it's are like over. it's it's over for you if you do that. People did, people are like, did you watch the game last night? I'm like, be no, like, no. <laughs> no, I didn't watch the game last night. I was in an I was in a, a, an arena. You actually, I'm I'm uh, I'm now pleading with you to please, please rank Michigan ahead of Seton Hall in the top twenty five and one. Tweet it out. Have Seton Hall fans ask you, did you even watch this game? And I want you just to say to every single one of them, no. No, no. I no. didn't watch it. Not no. a second. Not not even a second. Didn't even know it happened. I mean, I knew it happened. Didn't know the result until probably 30 minutes after it was over. I didn't know. I didn't watch. It just, I don't know what to do. I'm going to uh, finish this podcast, get the biggest drink I can find, and and start thinking about it. But, it, but, it's, I, but I just prefer not to have to think about it. Can't believe I can't believe Michigan. So disappointed. And on the day, Jawan Howard got a contract extension. On the day, Michigan fans, do you really want five more years of this? And people are talking all offseason. Like, Michigan's going to be really good. Purdue's really good. And Illinois is really good. Is this the year the Big Ten breaks 
its streak of not winning a national championship since the year 2000. And I'm like, why don't we let them try to win a Gavit game first? These dudes can't even win a Gavit game. We're talking about winning the national championship. Try winning a Gavit game first. Not going to happen. Purdue uh, not playing in the Gavit games this year. Uh, so it has Zach Eady going off. Boilermaker still looking good. I'll see them this weekend. They are now uh, 3-0 and after just dismantling Wright State 96-52. No Gavit games for Purdue. Big Ten now regretting that decision there. Uh, we can move along. Oh, wait. Before we move along, Kevin Willard wears a suit. Big time win. Mick Cronin wears a suit. Big time win. Gary Parrish mm. wears a suit. Mm-hmm. Big time podcast. Ooh. Not a coincidence here. I'm liking this. I'm liking this coaches in the suits and it's working out for them. Um, keep an eye on that. Okay. As for the Illinois Marquette, we got to talk about that for Monday night. Certainly not quite as big of a shocker. Remember, no Kofi Coburn in that game for the Illini. Yes, Marquette fans. I'm well aware of the fact that when this suspension happened for Coburn, Parrish and I playfully dismissed Marquette's chances to win this game. And and good on Shaka Smart for getting his first big win. Marquette roared down the stretch. They won 67-66. Illinois had 26 turnovers. Can't have it. And Andre Carbello was straight up terrible, frankly. Uh, and I know you weren't able to watch this game either. He looked like a guy who heard all the chatter and read all his press clippings in the offseason. Like, bad passes, tried to do way too much, and they can't have that again. It was real bad. Uh, he was 4 of 18 from the floor, finished with 11 points. Again, 7 turnovers, 4 fouls. He wasn't the only reason Illinois lost. He was the primary reason, without a doubt, and there were some big lost opportunities. I mean, Illinois gacked it away down the stretch. They were outscored in the final few minutes, uh, final stretch, 8-9 minutes, 21-8 to eight by Marquette. Uh, Shaka Smart got a great game out of Maryland transfer Daryl Morsell who's looked like one of the better players in America through the first, you know, three, four games of the season. He had 21 points, shot well from the field, five boards, um, a nice effort overall. Uh, Justin Lewis had a good game. Gurkuath had, had, a, had a nice little effort there. Tyler Kolek had 12 points, including a big play down the stretch there. So, again, for the Big East, good gains. For Illinois, you know, a, a missed opportunity. Illinois should have won, but Marquette gets the win again. Big East, 4-0, Gavit Games, Illinois dropped. Where did you – I saw you dropped them earlier. You can see the stats here, obviously, if you're watching the podcast on YouTube, and we shout out to uh, to all the viewers. Where did you drop the Illini? If Mich- I know Michigan's going to be a problem, but Illinois, inside or outside your top 20 now after that L? They got dropped to 22. I dropped them from 17 to 22. But, see, here's the thing, and I stressed about that. Like, I didn't even deal with it last night. I was like – I'm going to get caught up on succession and relax 15 minutes into the newest episode. That's tomorrow night for me. Go ahead. It's good. It's good. It's getting good. Uh, I said, I'm going to get caught up on succession. I just want to relax. I'll, I'll deal with this Illinois situation tomorrow morning. So I woke up this morning and of course, Paulo has been <laughs> charged with a crime and we got conference realignment news and just is a mess, but that's easy because all you got to do is say they didn't have their best player. He's coming back. It's one result by, I think, a single point. That that one's kind of easy to work around. Um, although I did consider them dro- dropping com- them completely out because they were still an eight-point favorite in the game without Kofi Coburn. You know, Marquette was picked ninth in the preseason Big East poll. 
They were in the 80s at Ken Palm. Like, you're still supposed to win that game if you're Illinois. At least that's what the Ozmakers thought. But that, they, they, honestly, it came down to what, like, do I really still think Illinois is one of the top 25 teams? In America? I do. Um, do I think that's, do I think they lose that game if their best player is not suspended? No. That one's easy to rationalize. This one's a little more difficult. Except I think I'm going to try to keep it as simple possible. I'm going to drop Michigan. I'm going to, you know, Seton Hall is now, I just checked, up to 30 at Ken Palm. You can reasonably do pretty much whatever you want to do with that. So I'll just keep it easy. I'll drop Michigan down pretty significantly, push uh, Seton Hall one spot ahead of them, call it, call it a day. It's reasonable. It is. It actually is reasonable enough. Um, and I kind of thought that might be what you end up doing. That's a 35 to 30 bump for the Hall there. So those are two uh, two big results i want to lead you into like we're going to get to some other games here but let's can we go to your game first because you're on sideline um before we talk about you unc versus charleston i mean i checked your i checked your twitter feed multiple times today what's the deal man i i did not get the leaky black selfie completely unacceptable how 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 do you let this not happen we usually pre-pandemic it's the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. It cost me probably a sleeky black selfie that I'll never get again. Um, pre-pandemic, we would go to both team shoot-arounds, spend time with the coaches and the players. And um, today, we only went to Char- College of Charleston shoot-around. We did not go to the North Carolina shoot-around. We got Hubert Davis at 9.30 this morning on Zoom. So that's the way my day started, looking at the Apollo News and then talking to Hubert Davis. So... We didn't meet. We didn't go to Carolina shoot around. I never had a proper opportunity to ask Leaky Black for a selfie, but I was very close to Leaky. I was I was as close as I've ever been to Leaky Black multiple times tonight while, you know, sort of hanging around UNC huddles during the game so that I could come back as a sideline reporter and say, so I was just inside UNC's huddle. That's a big sideline reporter move. Anytime you can anytime you can say you were in the huddle. So I was really close to Leaky Black, and I almost like snapped a selfie of like me, but uh, with Leaky Black in the background. I wish I so wish you had done this. I just didn't. I just didn't. Uh, I really, yeah, missed opportunity. I'm already regretting it. You know, and sometimes in life, um, there are these moments that pass, and you regret them forever. And I feel like today is one of those days for me. <laughs> it's I've, been a long day for my buddy, and I'm going to pay him a compliment here that he doesn't know that's coming. But one of the one of Parrish's best attributes as someone who works in media is if you watch the Carolina Charleston game and you listen to him do his job there, and you watch him on CBS Sports Network and you listen to him do his job there, and then you listen to this podcast and you listen to him do his job here, uh, and if you read his writing and you listen to or watch read the way he does that. Uh, he handles these roles very, very well. Parrish is extremely good at the sideline reporter gig. So you did a wonderful job, in all honesty, with uh, with that tonight. You took us inside the Charleston huddle with Pat Kelsey and explained why a certain play went the way it did coming out of a timeout. So you did a, you did a very, very good job there. And I won't uh, put you on the spot and ask you to respond to these compliments but i genuinely mean it uh that was awesome and you were totally in mid-season form as you got back on the sideline there so with that being said carolina wins 94 83 beats charleston by the way unc 50th in ken palm right now even after this win charleston was threatening for a little bit um so there's not too too much to take away from this i thought armando baycott was terrific 
uh, Nada actually texted me during this game. And he said, you know what? If Roy's coaching this game a year ago, you know, running more bigs, he's like, I don't think UNC wins. I kind of agree with him on that. Leaky Black had a good game. What were your impressions sitting there, sideline, up close and personal with what you saw with UNC able to, to pull away late? For, first off, environment, amazing. You know, it's 5,000 seats um, in this arena. And when I checked the secondary market on Monday night, the seats that were available, least expensive seats available, were priced at $200, right around $200 each. A seat. Pretty good. Uh, when I checked again on Tuesday afternoon, nothing was available. You know, I went to multiple secondary markets. Like, it wasn't that tickets were too – they just didn't exist anymore, which suggests that those $200 tickets were purchased. Um, as I said on the broadcast, you know, Blue Blood programs don't play games like this, typically. North Carolina does it more than anybody else of the Blue Bloods, but this is not a normal thing. And so I get some people tweeting, like, why, why is North Carolina playing at College of Charleston? So let me answer that as quickly as I can. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. The, the College of Charleston athletic director is a guy named uh, Matt Roberts. Terrific guy. And um, he is a former North Carolina baseball player. And after he graduated from UNC, he eventually ended up working in the North Carolina athletic department. And in some cases, uh, directly with the men's basketball program. So he developed real relationships with Roy Williams and other people within that program. And when he became the athletic director at College of Charleston, he started working those relationships to try to figure out a way to get the Tar Heels to come to Charleston, South Carolina, because they had not been here since 2010 when Roy Williams brought him here to play against Bobby Crimmins' team and Charleston upset them. And that was such an overtime. And that was such trivia time. Who okay. hit the three? Who hit the three to send the Charleston, Carolina game to overtime back in 2010? He's considered, a, you know, one of the great College of Charleston players, I think. When you say it, I'll know it, but I'm not even close to knowing. Say it. Andrew Godlock? Mm, I wouldn't have gotten that. But, yeah, okay. Okay. So I, rem I remember the game. I just don't remember him hitting the shot. It is such a big moment in College of Charleston history, beating North Carolina in Charleston, that there's a plaque in the locker room dedicated to it. That's how big of a deal it is. So Matt Roberts starts working on how can I get them to come back. So they agreed to a two-to-one, a two-for-one a, a two series. So they played Charles, College of Charleston played in Chapel Hill last year. They'll play in Chapel Hill next year. But this year, they hosted North Carolina on November 16th, and it was a big event for this community. You know, Pat Kelsey was at shoot-around on Tuesday afternoon, and he was trying to help his players understand just how big this is. Because he's a first-year coach, spent all those years at Winthrop. You know how many players returned from last season's College Charleston team? Three. He had three players from last season's team. He totally remade that roster, and he was trying to help them properly understand, like, well, you are going to feel something tonight you've never felt before. You're going to see something you haven't seen before. If we win this game, they will blow the roof off this place. And it felt that way. I mean, I, you know, uh, our producer – uh, Kamani asked me after the game, you know, how good was that crowd relative to other college basketball great crowds? I'm like, that's as good as it gets. I mean, it really was as good as it gets. Now, it's not like that every time, but it was like that on Tuesday night. And 
on the Zoom call Tuesday morning, one of the things I asked Hubert Davis, I said, "Do you are your players aware of how big of a deal this is for the Charleston players, coaching staff, fans, program, city, all that? Because you didn't play in front of crowds last season. You know, Kayla Love has never played in time in front of a big time college basketball crowd, opposing crowd. You know, RJ Davis hasn't played in front of something like that. Are they? Do they understand what they're walking into tonight? And Hubert kind of laughed. You know what he said? He said, uh, probably not. But they knew pretty quickly that they were in a fight. They were down double digits early. Got it back to a respectable number at halftime. I think they were down six. They had 11 turnovers in the first half. I talked to Hubert at halftime. He said, we just got to stop turning the ball over and seemed to suggest if we can do that, we'll be fine. And then they stopped turning it over. Caleb Love was good. Armando Baycott, career high. Uh, 24 points, I believe, and they pulled away and won comfortably at the end. But on one hand, North Carolina is 3-0 and with a win in a true road environment that was hostile. That sounds good. The flip side is North Carolina has terrible computer numbers, isn't really guarding anybody, mm-hmm. and they've been in two fights with mid-majors, first Brown and College of Charleston. That might be a little concerning. I think it is a little uh, a little concerning, but I'm going to see Carolina. you got more Tar Heel talk coming on the podcast. Uh, we'll preview them because they play this weekend at Mohegan Sun. I'll be at those games, so we'll talk about them Friday, and we'll obviously talk about them on our recap episode at the end of the weekend, if not on Monday morning. Let me, uh, let me scan through a couple more games here real quick before we get to the huge, well, relatively big realignment news. Uh, Houston demolished. we got a couple of just creamings we have to talk about here. Uh, as you can see on your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, Houston wins by 20 over Virginia, uh, has now won 28 straight home games. Houston started the game on an 8-0 run. Parrish, you missed nothing. The game was boring. It wasn't even close. Houston's defense looked awesome. A Virginia uh, game is not boring. That's crazy to think about. A Virginia game was boring? What are you talking about? Here's a little note. Virginia's 3-4 and four all-time against Houston in a series that dates back to December 16, 1982, when the team squared off in Tokyo, Japan. What do we got to do to get a game, a college hoops game in Tokyo these days? That's like something that genuinely fascinates me. What I, I know it was Ralph Sampson. So Ralph Sampson was on the team, but like he was he was taking Virginia Hoops Global in 1982. When's the last time we had a game in Tokyo? A neutral court in Tokyo. Georgia Tech went to China a few years ago. I remember that. So did UCLA. It didn't work out so well. Um, <laughs> he stole everything. Did not work out so well. Uh, UCLA players went and, and committed burglary. I had to be how, arrested. Like, how crazy you got to be go to China and start burgling is that a that word was... burgling yeah burgling yeah that's a funny uh, word. that's a funny sounding word it is but i like it uh, nobody ever uses it if yeah you are... yeah you hear about so-and-so he's doing two years what did he do he burgled he burgled houston looks good we'll see him next against butler in the maui uh tournament on monday which by the way is in vegas this season so we'll i figure we'll mix in a little maui talk once we get to our first pod of next week as for virginia one and two, I talked about it on the pod. I wrote about it on the site. Virginia fans got chesty and sensitive over this when I said this could be the least talented team Tony's had in almost a decade. That's looking like it might be the case. So maybe this is the the wake-up call that uh, Virginia fans needed. Um, I'm going to shout out to our friend Bart Torovic, listener of the podcast. He tweeted this out earlier. He said, two, uh, per his 
barttorvik.com, which is awesome. It's like a wonderful cousin to Ken Palm. You hear us talk about Ken Palm. Torvik's site is equally as indispensable. He said two of Virginia's six worst performances, according to his game scores, of the last 10 seasons. So two of the worst six of the last 10 seasons have happened in their first three games of the season. The other one was the loss to Navy. So not ideal whatsoever for Virginia there. We'll see if I listen, do I think Tony can get this thing right? Yes. Going to take some time. It could be a top five team in the ACC. Just doesn't look like it right now. So I don't know what you have to add from this. You didn't see the game, but I just wanted to give it a a quick minute here and at least uh, acknowledge what Houston was able to do because it was impressive by Kelvin Sampson and his team. Uh, You know, I've mentioned this recently after Virginia lost to Navy when we did the ACC preview. Um, I made a point that the roster is would not be ranked. And this is coming from somebody who ranked Virginia in the preseason. Like, I think I had them 25 or 26, but I had them. And I said, that's only, that's that's giving Tony Bennett the benefit of the doubt. And he deserves it. He's amazing. But the roster, you give that roster to anybody else, put any other uniforms on them, and nobody's even considering ranking them in the preseason. And now they're one and two with a loss to Navy. And oh, wait, by the way, that's a Navy team that got blasted by Virginia Tech on its home court. And now they just got blown out by Houston. Like they might just not be good. And I, you know, Tony can maybe make them respectable and they'll beat somebody here and they'll beat somebody there, but they might just not be good because the roster is, um, you know, when you got a, the roster, I'll just keep it simple. The, the, the roster is not that good. And I don't care how great of a coach you are when your roster is not that good. And by the way, that's your responsibility to not find yourself in that situation. But when the roster is not that good, you're, you're pretty, pretty limited in what you can do the other uh result of note we should talk about because holy crap byu 81 oregon 49 at the phil knight invitational that's a uh top 15 ranked oregon team hold on one second got uh i got some mark pope post game mark what do you think about that game unbelievable <laughs> Woo! Woo! Crazy. I'm loving that drop, man. I'm loving that we get to use it right after this. I'm going to cite some more of our buds here. Jeff Borzello by ESPN Stats and Info said, uh, BYU is the first unranked team to beat a top 15 team away from home by 30-plus points since November of 93 when UConn did it against Virginia. Let me say that again. BYU, first unranked team to beat a top 15 team by 30-plus away from home since 93 uh i got one more stat to throw at you but as we're talking about your top 25 and one you have to rank byu that's another thing like after they do this oh yeah byu is 100 going to be ranked. i'm starting to feel sorry for florida the gators snuck in there at number 26 they're gonna get bumped right out gotta they, I, mean, they gotta, I mean i've got to add byu and i've got to add seton hall and i can get rid of oregon like that should just be a rule if you lose by 30 you you can't be ranked anymore yeah, like that's yeah. that's embarrassing I, and they didn't play well uh whatsoever only player in double figures was eric williams who had 12 you ready for the stat line hmm. alex barcelo he's great dude i i like it's not even a joke i was pushing for this guy to be in our top 50 our top 101 players and you and you what Cobb and boone we're not having it he just wasn't on your list high I, i'm telling you i had this early and you didn't want to listen he's the new nate walters this dude tonight you can see the box score on the screen right now if you're watching on youtube he had 25 points on 
Nine of 11 shooting, including four of six from three. Didn't miss a foul shot. Two boards, two assists, no turnovers, no fouls. He's awesome. BYU was awesome. Fantastic team. The WCC, I told you in the preseason, if you listen to the podcast, you got the early warning on this. The WCC, I mentioned how the Big Ten doesn't have a win over a power conference team yet. WCC has the Gonzaga win over Texas, which was impressive and dominant. BYU's now knocked off Oregon and won a good game at home over San Diego State. Santa Clara has beaten Nevada, which was considered a potential top three team in the Mountain West, and knocked off Stanford. San Diego has also knocked off Nevada, so maybe we need to recalibrate our thoughts on Nevada. And San Francisco, a preseason top 35 team at Ken Palm, has started off beautifully. It's now up to, as we record, 32. It has wins over Davidson, Sanford, and who's next for San Francisco on Thursday? None other than Nevada. Nevada can't catch a break, my man. They've lost to San Diego, Santa Clara, and now they got San Francisco coming. So credit to the WCC, which is off to a really wonderful start. Um, BYU's right there in the mix. Oregon, whatever. We'll see what can come of it with them. But Mark Pope is getting it done in a big way. That's the last season. They were ranked. They were finished the season 20th at Ken Palm. Uh, they wound up uh, losing to UCLA and kind of getting knocked off. It was actually a pretty quality team. They're 20th as we speak right now, and um, their next tough game will be on the road against Utah, and they're going to be favored in that game. I can't see how they wouldn't be. So Pope Barcelo got that thing rolling and had to, had to mention that uh, before we get to the realignment stuff well, because BYU is one of those – they're fun to watch. They're old. They're always old. It's BYU, but uh, it was just – it was, I think, like, I was there for Gonzaga, Texas. Super impressive. I think what I saw BYU do to Oregon on Tuesday was the most impressive game, 40 minutes I've seen from a team yet this season. Really good this season. Good last season. You realize in 2020, the dumb pandemic showed up, cut the season short. They were ranked 13th at Kimpa to end the season. They've been consistently high level under Mark Pope. And I was impressed by the San Diego State victory. I guess that was Friday night. I was in studio for that because I did that Barcelo highlight about 11 times throughout the night. Um, but, I mean, that's, I mean, that is the outright back-to-back Pac-12 champs. And you just blew them off the court. Super I- impressive performance from, from BYU. And, um, yeah. If, if I need to apologize to Alex Barcelo for not properly appreciating him in our top 101 players list, then consider consider the apology uh, delivered. You want me to say I effed up? <laughs> I effed up. Uh, okay. You want to about it a thousand times. I know. I, I, went, know. Back, I went back and watched it. Uh, the Jim Calhoun rant. Yeah. Okay. I've talked about it a million times. You want me to say I effed up? I effed up. We took a Mecca Okafor. <laughs> Whoever else. They're not bad. <laughs> uh, it's been a long day. By the way, my, you're, you had a birthday party for your son. Today, my older son turned six. So amid all this craziness, we'll wrap up with conference realignment. I'm like, I got to, I'm going out getting, I'm getting balloons. I don't know if the, if the Bancaro stuff's ever coming down to hop on HQ. Wife's like, I got a meeting. You need to go pick up the pizza. (laughs) It has been, it's been a day GP. And a lot of it kind of behind the scenes was what we're going to talk about here to wrap up the pod. You can go ahead and tee it up with, with conference realignment. One thing is for sure happening 
and then I'll have some news that's kind of adjacent to it. But uh, Loyola Chicago Parish became official this afternoon. Loyola Chicago is leaving the Missouri Valley Conference to join the Atlantic 10. And this is something we were working on all day long um, while while I was in shoot around and Zoom calls and doing HQ about Paulo Bencaro. This was like all getting final. It was it was finalized, but it was like we were working on getting everything ready to go, um, you know, it, it, all day long and dealing with a lot of phone calls and a lot of text messages. So, yeah, uh, this has been a busy second Tuesday of the season. And I think it's uh, undeniably a great move by the Atlantic 10. Um, you add the Chicago market. And I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, Loyola Chicago is the Cubs or the Bears in the Chicago market. But you get the Chicago market. It's a program that was in the 2018 Final Four, was in the Sweet 16 last season. And um, as of earlier today, this was true. I'll double check it now to make sure it remains true. Loyola Chicago is 33rd at Ken Palm that is two spots ahead of St. Bonaventure and also ahead of every other Atlantic 10 member. So you are adding a basketball program that is in this moment, um, a better team, according to at least one computer formula um, than any current member you got. And that's great uh, for the A-10 and for Loyola Chicago. um, You finally, you know, you get into, a multi-bid league. And I know that was one of the real, um, listen, you're probably lose leaving Loyola Chicago for Oklahoma, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I know that Porter, you know, Porter Mosier is really close with John Gallagher at Hartford. They're like probably on a group text right now. And I know John had said publicly, and it's the only reason I'm repeating it, uh, had said publicly many times, the nature of the one-bid league is probably going to be the reason, or at least among the reasons, Porter leaves Loyola Chicago someday. He would say this before Porter left because he's got obviously good teams. Computer number's great. If you lose the wrong game at the end of the season, you might not get in the NCAA tournament, and that's a hard way to live. And... Porter had already turned down jobs or declined to pursue jobs in multi-bid leagues to remain in what was largely the MVC, usually, not always, but usually um, a one-bid league. And now the year after, you know, really just several months after Porter Mosier leaves Loyola Chicago, uh, Drew Valentine will soon be coaching next year um, in Loyola Chicago in a multi-bid league. And that's, that's a good thing for the Ramblers. It's a good thing for Sister G. I'm not convinced this is going to be a good thing for Loyola Chicago big picture. Maybe it will be, but in having conversations about this today as it was heading toward it, then it, you know, it, it, it gets announced. Um, and then afterward, a couple of people say, you know, you know, what are they, what are they trading in for? They're going to get more money as an institution. They're going to be in a better league. But are they going to be in a position? And, and so a lot of this will be how good Drew is. We don't know. They're off to a nice start in Loyola Chicago's first game of the season. Drew Valentine coached the Loyola Chicago team that hit more threes in a single game than it ever had done in program history. So they're off to a, uh, a plenty nice start, and they're highly rated. 
and we'll see. If he's the guy, then maybe they can navigate into the Atlantic 10. And I think the uh, the fair objective goal for Loyola Chicago when you make a move like this into what's now going to be a 15-team league, and I'll get to that in a second, is you want to be maintaining a status in the top six. I think that's fair. Top six of the, of the top 15. You're in the top 40% of that league, okay? There's no guarantee that'll happen. I'll remind people that Loyola Chicago joined the Valley in the 20 in 2013. Okay. Before that they were in the horizon and the two years before they joined the Valley, they were combined six and 28 in league play seven and 23, two years before they did that Porter Moser's first two seasons there. So that, you know, he was taking over a little bit of a, of a rebuild, but they weren't, they weren't a great program. And there was some skepticism when they joined the Valley, if they'd be able to be, you know, anything better than a, middle of the pack kind of program Porter made them that and the a 10 has capitalized in many ways. I was able to visit that campus for the first time uh, this summer went to, I went to a buddy's wedding in Chicago. And when I walked around with drew, I was saying, listen, man, I know like you just made a final four and are coming off a of sweet 16 appearance. And so a lot of this stuff has like been upgraded. They have a facility that's, I think less than two years old. It's awesome. Right. But as I'm walking around, I'm like, you're in Chicago, you're right on the lake. I'm like, I don't understand how Loyola Chicago has not been, a significant mid-major power, like dating back to the eighties and nineties. There's so many advantages there. So I think a lot of that will play into what they do in the A-10. But when it was in the horizon, you know, under Ken Burmeister, Larry Farmer, Jim Whitesell, there weren't NCAA tournament appearances there. So they are leaving a very good situation for one that might not suit them better long-term. Agree or disagree? I mean, as always, we'll see. But um, it's a, how about this? I don't know how it'll turn out. I don't think you can turn down the opportunity. It's hard to turn down this opportunity. You're absolutely right about that. Now, the league is going to stay. Paris and I both talk with sources on this. We're told the A-10 is staying at 15 teams. So in doing this, until the SEC bloats to 16, the A-10 will tie the ACC to to have the largest inventory of schools at 15 uh, apiece there. Obviously, when we get word that this is going to be happening, the curiosity is, okay, is the A-10 doing this to kind of get ahead of things? From everything, I, I trust the sources I spoke to, and that's just not the case. Um, I obviously knocked on some doors to check in with the Big East because if the A-10 is going to lose a school, you would think it would be losing it to the Big East. But that's just not the case. I am told that the Big East is not actively pursuing and trying to add to its league the likes of St. Louis, Dayton, or VCU, which would really be the only three candidates. And St. Louis, um, because of uh, it, it, its connection, uh, frankly, as a religious institution, would be in its facilities. It just built new stuff. It would be, Dayton would seem to be the most obvious one, but in talking to people, if it was going to be any A10 program, St. Louis is probably the one it would be to be in a new market, travel wise, all that. But I'm told that's just not on the table. The Big East, if it even expands, only views Gonzaga as the school that gives it more value, more juice, brings more money to the to the conference. Is that ever going to happen? It's on the other side of the country. Who knows if it will? It's got an 11-team setup. They have a double round robin, and they like where they're at. They're in the middle of trying to restructure a new TV deal. These things will play a big factor. But I can just tell you, having spoke to multiple sources that know their stuff earlier on Tuesday. 
barring the president's doing something on, uh, you know, uh, under the, the thickest of cloaks right now, that's just not in, on the cards. I do think they're going to still try and see if Gonzaga can happen. And may, cause I think Gonzaga is going to want to get out of its current situation, but the a 10 is going to stay firm at 15 schools with Loyola Chicago joining next year. And probably a good thing, probably going to help yourself on the whole. If you can keep this 15 team union getting maybe one more bid on average per year. But as you well know, Paris, this also means the, the league is destined to have five irrelevant teams, at least just drag at the bottom. That will bring the league down. You, the ACC already deals with this. It's a really good league and have really good schools at the top. But when you look at the teams that are going 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and you compare them to the rest of the, the landscape there, some of those teams, they, they drag the ACC down. They prevent the ACC from being the number one and often the number two rated team in college basketball. So just, um, Keep an eye on that. Before I get to the Valley fallout, any other thoughts from Loyal A10 or anything I just hit on? Yeah, I guess I would just sort of uh, reiterate, like every point you make about like whether this will be a good thing long term for Loyola Chicago is 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 uh, obviously fair. I just tend to think about things like this, e- even in my own life. I go, okay, do we know how this is going to turn out? No. It, it, could it possibly turn out not great? Yeah but can I really turn down this opportunity? Do I just have to do it? And, and like, you know, hopefully it goes well, but if it doesn't, I'll always look back to the day and go, I just couldn't turn down the opportunity. I had to do it. Even if it didn't turn out well, it was something you had to do. And I think that's the situation Loyola Chicago found, finds itself. If the A-10 is willing to take you uh, for all the reasons we've already stated, whether it will turn out well or not forever remains or at least in this time is undeniably undetermined, but this is not something you could reasonably pass on. And so uh, they were anxious to do it, um, happy to do it. And now they'll hope for the best. Uh, This now means the ATEM will have Rams, 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 Ramblers. How about that? VCU, Fordham, URI, Rams, and Loyola Chicago, Ramblers. That's the other bit of news tied to all this. So the Missouri Valley is losing Loyola Chicago. It gets Belmont. Remember, it gets Belmont starting next year. So Loyola Chicago leaves down to nine. Belmont's right into replace. They're sticking at 10. I feel like you're on a streak to try to re- include Belmont in every podcast. Like whatever it's, I. It's relevant to the discussion. What do you want from me? Belmont's like your Memphis. It is. And I'm <laughs> damn proud of it. Rick Bird, Belmont. Beats Furman in a great game Monday night, by the way. Didn't even touch on that. Wonderful game. Wonderful mid-major game. Anyone listening that saw saw it know what I'm talking about. And I had a, I had a source text me in the building and like 17 rows up sitting by himself, just enjoying the game. Kind of like Roy, but Roy was like closer to the court was Rick Bird. Just, just chilling. I, I went and talked to Roy tonight just to say hello. He's still the most popular man in the building. I think er, I didn't get a leaky black selfie. I think everybody in that place got a Roy Williams selfie. Wonderful man. Love it. They showed him a couple times, obviously, on the broadcast. Okay, so as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, here's what I have. The Missouri Valley is has been in deep discussions with Murray State, UT Arlington, Kansas City. I'm also told there's the potential, like, one of these might not work, and maybe they had another one. Who knows? Who Who's to say? Um, what I did not include in my report, because I don't have it reported, I'm going to provide my opinion on this, because they're a scuttlebutt. Um, 
I think there's the potential that Missouri State might try and get out of the Valley, and some of that will be for football reasons. So if it, if the Valley were to lose Missouri State, that would have them down to nine again. You add these three schools, then you get to 12, and potentially that's how we land there. Murray State goes without saying why you would add them. I think it's a no-brainer. The only reason why Missouri State didn't get in a few years ago and Valpo did was Missouri uh, Murray State. I've never been. Uh, wonderful program, but apparently like truly in the middle of nowhere. And there's almost nothing to do in Murray, Kentucky, except watch that basketball team. They rally around that program and that's been good enough for, you know, nearly 20 NCAA tournament appearances over the years. They get, they've produced multiple NBA draft picks. Matt McMahon has been phenomenal there. Murray state. We understand why they should be. They're a natural ad. They're a natural rival for Belmont. I think that's, that's fait accompli. That's happening. The other two, if you're kind of rolling your eyes or lifting your, your brow over, why UT Arlington out of the Sun Belt and Kansas City out of I don't even know what league. Fun fact, they're back in the summit. The Missouri Valley presidents have put the number one priority on any kind of expansion with programs in major metropolitan areas. Arlington, Greater Dallas expands the footprint or whatever has one NCAA tournament. I don't think that I, whatever, like I don't get it, but I'm told it's like, yeah, heavily, heavily involved UT Arlington uh, commissioner Jeff Jackson has toured all of these campuses in recent weeks. And there's they're deep into discussions. It's not formal yet. They haven't gotten the invites. It's just trending this way. Kansas city is the one I'd watch for Billy Donlin's actually done a really good job there early on. He's, I think he's had more wins through two seasons than any coach there maybe ever, but it's been a bad program. Now, weirdly enough, it plays on a campus and has a venue, Municipal Auditorium, which doesn't even use anymore, has hosted more NCAA tournament games than any venue in history. I'm told Kansas City needs to really provide empirical evidence that it's going to upgrade its facilities because as it stands right now, that program is not getting into the Valley, but it's in a wonderful... Kansas City is one of the best college basketball media markets in the country, Parish, And so because of that, geographically where it's located it makes an ideal fit you just got to it's not been a good program and i if if you're listening and you're like man i could think of six or seven other schools that would be so much more natural uh if you want to throw out the likes of say like a northern kentucky which is relatively new to d1 i'm with you i'm just told this is this is where they're pushing and as i reported former missouri athletic director uh, mike alden who who got mizzou out of the sec or out of the big 12 and into the sec almost a decade ago He's playing a huge role. They're optimistic. They're extremely optimistic there. And so, yeah, a busy, busy day with realignment stuff. The val- Again, the Valley stuff, it's not done. It's not happening in the next week or two. December 19th, there will be a presentation for the presidents of the Valley from these schools and potentially others. Uh, there's another school in the mix, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast because I want to get a little more information that's still trying to, to squeeze itself in. But I think we will. Ha- What's up? I heard it was UMass Lowell. Oh, uh, wouldn't it? I wouldn't if how amazing. I would die if UMass Lowell got if it. It was UMass Lowell. But if you're the Valley, like a bottom line like this, if you're the Valley, you need to expand a little bit more. Jeff Jackson just got this job over the summer. He's extremely motivated and clearly being ambitious with all this. I admire it. It sucks to lose Loyola Chicago. Um, you got to get Murray State at minimum and to keep yourself kind of in that same tier where you are now. And we'll see if it winds up being these three schools, all of which currently have high optimism. They'll eventually get an invite, but there are still a few more steps they need to clear in order for that to be a reality. Butler, Cincinnati, Creighton, Houston, Iowa, Iowa State, Kansas, 
Kansas State, Louisville, Memphis, Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, St. Louis, Wichita State. What do they all have in common? I know you know. I read your story, my man. This is this is like it's phenomenal. What they all have in common. It's something the Missouri Valley can be so proud of, yet kind of shy about. They're all former members. Uh, go back. You just heard Parrish. Go hit that uh, 15 second rewind button two or three times and listen to that again. Listen to all the schools he just said. At one point in their history, they were members of the Missouri Valley, and all of them have gone on to, you know, bigger and better, if you will. It's been a rough century for the NBC. <laughs> that might be laying it on a little too thick, but hopefully the next century will be better. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Henry Dugan, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys. Once again, for listening to the Allen College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. You know, people sometimes refer to me as the Jim Nance of College Basketball Podcast. I've often been described that way. I feel like out in the streets, that's the way they're describing me. In the streets? Yes. Out in the streets, they're describing me as the Jim Nance of College Basketball Podcasting. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including... Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, and lots of you have, but if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel. You guys have been great about that. Make sure while you're there that you um, you know hit the little bell button so you get alerts when a new video drops. You wouldn't want to be living in a world where you're not getting alerts where when a new video drops. That, that seems crazy. And then what are you going to do to that like button, dead leg? You're going to smash it. What would Brandon Davies do to that like button? You already know. He would smash it. He would give up basketball to smash that like button. You have consent. Go smash the like button. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.